We who are about to die salute you. G-I-M is uh, well, probably not what you're saying today, but it's Monday, and uh, that means it's a uh, Moritori Day. Woohoo! And, uh, yeah, Chris and Chris are here to talk about Strike Force Moritori number four. And uh, you can find this program most Mondays at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and, you know, places you can subscribe to. If you're listening, you know. So uh, you're here already. So what am I telling you for? We want to open by uh, giving a little bit of feedback here. Our buddy Walt from Comics Reviews by Walt, he's uh, one of our super blog team-up pals. He said that uh, he actually ordered all 36 issues of Strike Force Moratory. That's the 31 regular, you know, uh, you know, uh, newsstand or direct market issues, plus the five. He says five of some miniseries. He, he doesn't <laughs> are- know the half of it. We we are not responsible for electric undertow, Walter. <laughs> I'm just letting you know, brother. That's a prestige format gem. So uh, that'll be a, that'll be a good time for uh, yes, for, sir. As, as he follows us on our trek, our thirty odd week trek here, and uh, where we last left our team, uh, well, they had their first battle with the horde and they won. So what did they good. ever? Yes, all's good in Mori Tori land here, and uh, I don't know if there's anything else we have to catch up on. Nope. I can start with a little bit of precursor here. This is Strike Force Moratory number four. This was released or cover dated March 1987. This one's entitled Media Bash, and boy, do we get right into the heart of the media on this one. This one's written by Peter B. Gillis, pencils by Brent Anderson. He's a good dude, by the way. Uh, inks by Scott Williams. Letters by Jim Novak. Colors by Max Sheely. Is that how we pronounce that? Maybe. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll try. Uh, I apologize, Max, if I screwed that one up. Edited think, by Carl I Potts. Said, I think I've said steel, skeel, skeel. <laughs> We're saying it all every which way. We, we try, Max. We try. And edited and chiefed by the main man himself, Mr. Jim Shooter. Woohoo! And special thanks to Will Sportasio, Mr. Wetworks himself, for uh, his little input on this. The release date was February 28th, 1987. Yes, we have a solicit here for this issue. Fame glorifies the Strike Force when a dramatic comic book of their adventures is released and a Strike Force television program is announced. But the invading alien horde has its own death-dealing plans for the star-studded hoopla, which results in... <gasps> But this is it's, it's redacted here. I don't know what what does it result in. I don't uh, know. I, I I guess we'll have to listen to the show to find out. I think so. I think so. We look at our cover here, and it shows our Strike Force gleefully, gleefully battling the aliens from the Horde, like they're literally all smiling, big broad smiles here. Yep, I'm glad <laughs> they're smiling now because by the end of this one, nobody's smiling. 
No. Now we open with the reveal of the brand spanking new Strike Force Moritori comic book. <laughs> yes. Strike They've Force got Moritori. another comic in the headquarters. Finally. Uh, issue number one has a February cover date and a 12 cent cover price. And uh, our gang here, they're uh, cautiously excited to see what's going on <laughs> inside this book. And uh, what what's inside is some, uh, well, we're going to assume this is Will's Potassio art, but it kind of looks a little bit more like Phil Foglio's work. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about this? You know, uh, it's clearly obvious that the story was drafted before the art on this whole uh, the comic book deal because the cover yeah. is far different than the interiors. Oh, yeah. So the comic cover almost looks exactly, you know, with just you know, a slight minor, minor alterations. Yes. Minor alteration. It, it looks like the Brand Anderson current rendition of the characters that we're reading right now. I mean, there's nothing whatsoever that looks like it's changed. However, the characters are saying, look at our chins and yep. they begin critiquing their bodies, saying, you know, how disproportionate they are when they look almost exactly the same. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the problem is, is that when they do open the book, we do see the exaggerated versions of the characters. I mean, they look like, you know, uh, animated cartoons on the inside. Yeah. So uh, all I can say is that I'm sure that uh, Jim Shooter probably fired an editor over this one, probably <laughs> then probably rehired him and fired him again for good measure. I'm just saying you got to make it stick. Yes. But uh, Phil Foglio, I uh, this this just reminds me so much of him. And uh, I'm not much of a fan. <laughs> No, man. You know what? I'm only familiar with with uh, Foglio's work from I mean, he did some work with Plastic Man. Now, like I said before in last episode, I'm a pretty big Saturday morning cartoon guy. So Mm -hmm. I did get to catch some uh, some Plastic Man back in the day. Sure. And Foglio's work is very reminiscent of that loose cartoony style. You know what I mean? I think it would work great on Plastic Man. Yeah. 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 Uh, The problem is that Foglio's work doesn't work anywhere else outside of Plastic Man. Yeah, it's true. I, I I reviewed early on in my you know blogging career. I reviewed his Stanley and his Monster miniseries. And, oh uh, yeah. And what was that like? Woof. Um, you yeah. know, not the greatest thing in the world. Not the greatest thing in the he world. He did but. Angel and Ape too, and I mean he that's, did. He did. He he sort of built for those two books, Plastic Man and Angel and Ape. Yeah, but, uh, more cartoony. Yeah. He he can't pull off any mainstream like serious hero books, in my opinion, anyway. I know? think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now the the comic that our our team is reading here, uh, this the Strike Force Moritori number one meta comic inside the comic, it uh, reads. Kind of like it was written by Chris Claremont after he'd been bitten <laughs> by a radioactive Chris Claremont. <laughs> what we're trying to say is it's very, very overwritten. I mean, one of the lines here, <laughs> the Herald in the comic goes, well, Lorna, I bet you're eager to use your plasma burst the Moritori process gave you and fight those alien invaders as Snapdragon. <laughs> and, and, and it only gets worse from there. But that, I think that's kind that's kind of the point. Uh, it's, yeah, I think so. You know, they're they're all fighting over this comic. But what's interesting is we, we've stressed the point that Harold has one comic in his collection, and that's the last yeah. days of the Black Watch from issue <laughs> one. And uh, it's it's almost to the point where he's completely disinterested in this books and he just lets others, you know, have their have their go at this particular comic because you know what? He's satisfied with his one issue collection. Harold's he's just standing it. back. Yeah, he's he's got he's, it all, he's fine. He's satisfied. He's done. <laughs> he's, he's a completist done. and he has his complete edition. <laughs> his his C L Z app only has that one line and that's that's it. He can he can delete it now. That's a um, that's a very small torrent, people. <laughs> <laughs> now, things that we learned from this comic in a comic 
is that the moratory recruits identities are not kept secret from the public. So they know that Snapdragon is actually Lorna. Um, they all, we also learn that the public knows that they're all going to die within a year because that's in the comic. They here actually it comes say again. Oh, yeah. And it, and here, yeah, it definitely looms large. Uh, and there's also a sort, uh, sort of specific information here from the, their power sets to the fact that they have a hidden headquarters inside a mountain. I don't know if they want to tell people that, <laughs> right? This I is mean, like the pirate bay. We're hiding. We're hiding. Yeah, right here. here. Why, why are you revealing where we are, people? <laughs> <laughs> now, the Moritori beat down the horde in the comic, and uh, this gets a pretty mixed reaction from our actual characters. Robert, Big Robert here, is confused that the issue said that they have a ship called the Earth Star when they really don't. Ooh. So not 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 everything is. Don't believe everything you read, folks, because you know the the the, the, the X Men don't actually have a Blackbird or something. Just imagine. Uh, I know. Lorna fears that this fantastical story will only heighten the expectations of the public. Ooh, God Which, God bless Lorna. I mean, Lorna, Lorna, Lorna is, um, she's the promiscuous one out of the group. And uh, how can I describe this? I, I just don't think she's a fan of undergarments, Chris. I don't think so. I don't <laughs> In think this so. this particular episode, she wears a, when I say very, very open-chested, high-collared shirt that is uh, glaring on the page, we'll say. Yes, very, very open-chested is probably the best way to put that. I have um, a feeling commi- that issue four was my favorite issue as a kid. I don't know. <laughs> just moving on. Our commander, Beth Neon, she's worried that this might be rubbing the Horde's nose in the recent loss they suffered last issue, and she fears retribution and retaliation, and uh, she probably ought to fear that stuff. Boy, um, boy. Now, most importantly, though, uh, now Harold knows for certain that there's more than one comic book on the planet. Even if he's not interested, he now knows. He can he can maybe talk into his VVCom about that. <laughs> now, uh, Commander Neon then informs the team that not only is the Strike Force's star rising by being in a comic book, but they're also going to have their own series of videos. Woohoo, woohoo. Man, mm. I was all about the video series back in the day. I mean, I oh, yeah. was a VHS connoisseur we'll say absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, my, my my saturday mornings uh always um and this this will date myself but i remember <laughs> back in the day when the only place that you could rent movies uh in my hometown was a furniture store and you could also rent wow. vcrs yeah so we had this rented rca one i mean this thing was massive i mean you had to have <laughs> It, it felt like you had to have two people lifting the darn thing. It was a top loader. You oh, press the right. press the eject button, and the top loader would come out. Up. Yeah, but you know what? I really, really loved just watching videos. And some of my favorite as a kid, I mean, I watched everything. My dad let me, you know, gave me free reign pretty well. Unless there was a naked woman on the front, I could pretty well sure. pick anything. <laughs> so you know, I remember sitting back on Saturday morning watching like stuff like Twilight Zone, the movie Space Camp. Uh, Star Wars, Tron in the old like white Disney clamshells, Herbie the Love Bug, The Black Hole. I mean, you name it, I watched it. I mean, I even got into movies like the Ninja movies. You remember, like, I don't know if you've ever seen them, starring like Show Kasuji with Enter the Ninja. Yeah, Show Kasuji, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Revenge of the Ninja, and my favorite, Ninja 3 The Domination. Don't make fun, people. That's where you like it would start with like him like demonstrating with like a, a different weapon like a he'd have like a nunchucks or a yes. tanfa and he'd like teach you how to do like moves with it and then it would go into this like 
Well, sort of cheesy movie. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly right. I think was it the company Golden Globus or something? I can't remember. That, that seems yeah. to stick out to me. I don't know. But Ninja Three: The Domination. You know what was strange about that movie? Hmm. So it starred instead of like a, a main uh, character uh, being the male, this one starred a possessed female. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I mean it was really, really. Uh, provocative we'll say i don't know it was uh, questionable to give to kids from a video store from a uh, <laughs> furniture store but the the funny thing was that number a number of my white socks went missing i don't know what was happening <laughs> i don't know if anyone can find them hopefully my mom didn't i don't know Any, anyway <laughs> oh, oh boy good. But I really loved uh, Family Home Entertainment videos, so FHE. They were more age-appropriate for me, and that's okay. when I really got into G.I. Joe, Robotech videos, and Transformers sure. video series, right? I mean, those were my go-to ones for myself and my brother, and we, we were we were addicted like crack on, on VHS, <laughs> man. So. I, I was uh, more – and I, I was like a, a very nebbish kid. I'm a nebbish guy now, but, I mean, I was like <laughs> kind of a nervous, nervous kid. And, uh, like, if I'd see a video that didn't have a label on it, it would freak me out. Like I had to know it was on it. You know, we talked about Invitation to Hell a few weeks ago, uh, the uh, the made-for-TV movie where it's I had to know what it was about. But any time I'd see a blank tape, I'd want to know what was on it. And and you know, you'd go to the video rental stores or whatever, and they would have those uh, like those audio artifacts yes. on on the tape when you start it up, and you'd have like a weird like a you know like those sounds. You know, <laughs> it's true. And it would just freak me the hell out. It's like to the point where it's like you'd have to like hit play, leave the room, then come back in a couple minutes. <laughs> and it's weird because like I've done not 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 so much research, but I've had like YouTube recommend videos to me. You know, you can't go on YouTube without them recommending a bunch of crap to you. And one of them was about people who grew up like in our generation who have these odd fears of like of sounds like. Like like the like the FHE logo like with like music oh. behind it like it would freak them out or like the Viacom V with like the burr, 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 oh you know? yes oh actually yeah now do you say it the Viacom V always was unsettling to me I don't know what it, it was because like you'll go from like the end credits of Too Close for Comfort you know and then all of a sudden it's like burr, 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 it just freak you out Man. and uh, and that that always that since I saw those videos I'm like holy cow that that's that was me growing up because, like, I'd turn on a video and if it did, like, the it'd freak me out. And I'd, you know, I'd be like, okay, got to gotta get out of here. And then, yep. like, if you'd rent a video that was actually labeled, right, and at the end of it, if there was tape left over, sometimes they'd put some weird crap at the end of tapes. Like commercial yes. A lot of – yes, and you know what? A lot of people – always shut the movie off but i'm yeah. telling you right now if you have any older older 80s vhs tapes there may or may not have been a little surprise nugget at the end there that you're missing so whether it was some new trailers commercials or even even like a video short that you didn't even know was put on the darn movie exactly. it's really it could be strange. like a, a public access cartoon or it could be or not a public yeah. uh, a public domain cartoon yeah or it could be uh like i saw one that was like an asian cooking show not in English. And it just – and it's so awesome. weird because cause that actually freaked me out. Just the fact that this weird random thing was on a like a – on like a cartoon tape. It's like it is. that it's, is it's, just it's, so bizarre and unsettling. Semi, yeah, it is actually very unsettling. Weird. It is. It is. And 
because I it's funny when I doing the uh, the Action Comics Weekly thing on the blog. There's one day a week where I talk about the two page Superman strip, you know, and it's uh I've got this weird guilt about me where I feel like I need to provide as much content as possible, and uh, <laughs> that two page Superman does not facilitate a lot of discussion usually. It's like in this time, Superman flew up and pulled something out of a machine, and that's it. You know, so it's like I need to do something. So I started just like writing some stream of consciousness <laughs> sort of crap. <laughs> and uh, I was actually listening to uh, – I, I had uh, a collection of 80s commercials on in the background, like on, in another tab on YouTube or something. And I, I, was start, I started remembering the weird crap that would freak me out, like the disembodied voice and uh, and those <laughs> weird sounds. And I was just writing about that, and it just it just filled out a, a blog post really well. But it was just weird to revisit all that kind of stuff. And then <laughs> and I'm awesome. picturing like the end of a Moritori video, and then like it goes to <laughs> <laughs> the Viacom is coming for you. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, now, now, now we, we mentioned they've got a video series and uh, there's going to be a premiere party in two nights, two nights later in New York City. And they're all invited. And so our team, the Strike Force Moratory, they set their sights on the Big Apple and they take a train that travels 500 miles an hour to get there. And uh, it's worth noting that they're met by fawning fans like at every turn of this trip. Like they show up at the train station. People are like, oh, it's you guys. You guys are great. So, like, everywhere they go, they're celebrities, full-fledged. They are. They are, like, uh, well, what's the what's the modern equivalent right now of... Uh, of the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. No. Is it that K-pop band? Maybe. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> no, on the train, we didn't mention this last time, but Harold has, like, this weird lock of hair that's growing really, really long. Like Is in it the me, front. or was that... Not there in the beginning. Is it that was something a little that just bit, came out of nowhere? Last issue was like a little bit longer, but now it's like down to like his chin. It's like this one little lock of hair in the front. And uh, he's fiddling with it. He's just like, he, he can't deal with it. So instead of like actually doing something about it, he just keeps messing with it. And uh, this aggravates Lorna, his uh, potential love interest, to the point where she has to intervene. And she comes over and she braids it for him and sticks it behind his ear because she's annoyed at watching him do it. <laughs> and uh, off to the side, Commander Neon watches this weird yet sort of touching scene. And she reflects on Harold's ability to take charge last issue. After all, you know, they did fight the Horde back to their ship. Uh, she re- refers to the team members as magnificent heroes. And she also laments the fact that before long, they'll all be gone. So they just can't let that go, can they? They can't. They cannot. They cannot they give can't. these kids two seconds to enjoy their powers. Nope. <laughs> no. Our shift suddenly shifts. Our, our scene suddenly shifts to Cape Town, South Africa, where the Horde keeps a base. And outside, oh. there's a plaque dedicated to the late Nelson Mandela. So. Uh oh. Does this mean he actually did die? So uh, what does this I, mean I for the Mandela a, effect, right? I think this is the uh, precursor to the Mandela effect. I think this may have uh, this the cause. The, right. Yes, this is it the did. trigger right here. This is patient zero. Strike Force Moratorium number four is patient zero for the Mandela effect. And I will say that Sinbad wasn't that genie movie, <laughs> damn it. It was called Shazam and I saw it. I don't care. Fight me on it. Did you see it on the on, on a VHS? You had to have. Right? I, I, absolutely, I must have. 
I can't gotta... find it right now. Okay, <laughs> but uh, I, I will find it. It's with those socks. It's with those. And I'm gonna business. get. I swear, one day I am gonna get Sinbad on this show, and I'm gonna get him. him. Yeah, I am. I'm gonna start tweeting <laughs> at him, and I will. And listeners, help me out on this. We need to get him on this show. All he needs to say is that yes, he was in that movie, and he can go again. That's all we need. Now, inside this base, we meet a Horde leader who's trying to get information out of a Horde member regarding the clash with the Moritori's last issue. And uh, have we have we uh, I mean, we've had we've gotten a good look at the the Horde aliens, but this is an audio presentation. I don't think we've mentioned what their chins look like, have we? Oh, their their chins. Um, I'm going to be politically correct here. It looks like a a scrotum with two large 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 balls, hang, large yep. bull balls hanging yeah. on both sides of their chin. Yeah, that's that's basically what it looks like. They got a face full of Rocky Mountain oysters. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, a, children. Yes, it's not a pleasant scene. No. Now it would seem that the horde members that fled that fight last issue. Well, you see, they told their superiors that the Moritori numbered in the hundreds, and that's the only reason they were pushed back. Now, Boy, were they wrong. <laughs> it was. Now, under the threat of having a giant roach feed off his gut, an Ugh. alien with the yeah, – it's pretty gross. An alien with the Star of David nose ring comes clean. He says, all right, all right, you got us. Last issue, we ran – well, they didn't say last issue, but we know what they mean. Last yep. time, we ran from just six humans. <laughs> and now, so to, this... now to be fair six <laughs> super powered humans and one wrecking ball called robert <laughs> yes <laughs> so. now, now this horde leader wonders if this means that there might only be six superhumans hmm they are on to something by yeah. golly gosh then he finds this is so weird he finds an advertisement for the big moritori shindig the premier shindig going down in new york Ugh. Did they did they actually send an invitation to the Horde base? How did I would they like have to, this? I, I would like to think that they were papering the town, and one of the towns that they invaded, they collected some <laughs> of the uh, the local magazines. You know, but yeah, it, it would not surprise me if they were sent a copy over to their uh, their local address. <laughs> to Horde the base local one, net, local net, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the local net, yeah. I think I think we could definitely we can get you a no prize for that. They were just. Did, did they, did they set up mailboxes? Like, are they that entrenched <laughs> in society now that they have a postal address and everything? Like, write us at the Horde base here at blah, 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 blah. <laughs> now, from here, we go back to New York. We join our heroes at the soiree. And we also finally get our title page here. Ten pages in. We yeah, finally find out what the issue is I thought I was mistaken. I thought, you know, a page was out of order or something. But no, nope, ten pages in, we have the title page. Yeah. Weird. And as we're at this soiree, Commander Neon introduces the team to a fella named Raymond Bloom, who is apparently someone from her past life as a soap opera executive. Oh, by the way, Commander Neon was once a soap opera executive. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Just think of think about that for a second. What what is the hiring requirements here? It's so true. you you've got the the strike force, which is the one line of defense, you know, against uh, a horde invasion, and you hire an ex. Soap opera writer, executive. It tells you it tells you what the media's uh what their priorities are. They want story. They want drama. They don't care about much else. They want the ratings. We need the ratings. We need the ratings. Bro. Yeah. Now after the light introduction, Bloom insists that the team meet some far more interesting people, and I cannot help but agree because he is pretty boring. 
Uh, these in, <laughs> these interesting people include the very people who will be playing the team in the live action, action adaptation. I tell you, imagine that, a live action Strike Force Moratory. Ooh, uh, yeah. I, I think that may or may not have been a thing that was batted around a million times. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Now, among these actors, we meet Guy Harding, who looks like he <laughs> might be a take on Burt Reynolds or Tom Selleck. Oh, he's he's definitely mirrored he's definitely, after Burt Reynolds. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's got a mustache. And we're going to guess that he's supposed to be playing Lewis, because Lewis has a mustache. So, And... uh it's weird. I mean, back in the 80s, I, I think it was still, I don't want to say socially acceptable because it's still socially acceptable to have a mustache. But I mean, it didn't come with the connotation that we <laughs> that we kind of give mustaches now. I, I don't know when that worm turned. I mean, you have Tom Selleck and Burt Reynolds. They they made a, a fortune off the stash. I mean, these sure. guys were mustache celebrities. Yeah. Yes. But then it twisted into Ron Jeremy. <laughs> and yeah. suddenly the mustache went from like manly to pervy. <laughs> Big time. I mean, like is. Super Mario has a mustache, but yeah, now you it's... don't find that pervy. No, but now it's uh, when you see it, it's just like, what are you okay, doing? Okay. Okay. You know what creeps me out? Hmm. Dudes with like those pencil thin mustaches. Oh, like the John Waters kind? Yeah, like the really, really pencil-thin, like really sharply defined triangular mustache, and it's like really thin, and there's no other facial hair attached to it. That, that's just weird, dude. It's like, clean that mess up. <laughs> I wonder how long that takes to do. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a lot of work to look like uh, someone who should be locked away. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, Jaylene, she convinces Aileen to go up and talk to our guy Harding here. And There's she a lot of so- leans going on here with Jaylene yes. and Aileen. Yes. Weird. And she does so by actually just pushing her right into him. <laughs> uh, from here, it's a pretty cute bit, actually. Harding actually appears to be starstruck meeting Aileen, which is a nice yeah. little bit of role reversal there. Um, off to the side, Harold meets his actor, a fellow by the name of Greg Mattingly, and he offers, uh, jokingly offers, that uh, that this fellow might have been better off getting a more permanent role than playing oh. a Moritori. Ouch. Uh, luckily, Mattingly is oblivious to everything he's saying, and he just tells Harold that he likes the weird hair thing that he's got going on. <laughs> well, uh, I guess Mattingly should realize that he's in for at least eight episodes of the Strike More <laughs> Moritori TV show, I'm just saying. You never know. Now, uh, Ray Bloom begins introducing the heroes to the gala when, like we mentioned last week, you know, these guys don't get a moment. Uh, The alarm begins to sound. And uh, we learn that the the horde has lit off a nuke and have knocked out (laughs) most, most of the electronics and radar in the area, which tells us that they are almost certainly on their way to New York. And boy, are they ever underway. They are indeed. And we actually take in the sights around New York City. Uh, we have skyscrapers that are kind of like opening up and transforming into like cannons and weapons. Uh, we can see that Times Square has like waterways running through it, like like Venice, Italy. It's, yeah. It's pretty strange. Um, then amid a fleet of evil bumble bombers, a <laughs> massive horde craft flies right into the gala. And by right into the gala, we mean like through a window right into the damn gala. Yeah, yeah this thing literally flies directly into the building, smashing right into the very heart 
of where yes. the gala is happening. I mean, this is like a Pearl Harbor attack. Like this is this is 9/11 style right here. Certainly, man. certainly, right on into the building. And uh, Radian and Snapdragon they team up to defend one side of the floor. And there's there's some like certain dialogue ticks that that we're getting a lot of here. And uh, like like Snapdragon goes, "Gotcha, Lou," or should I say, Radian? It's Ooh. Like so, they have to like name both names, and this is more that Claremont being bitten by a radioactive Claremont sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, I think I think what's going on there is that these folks are right now they're on camera. This is what I'm putting it putting it through as. So that you know they know they're on camera. Be. They know that it's, it's their chance, so they want to get their both you know their stage names out there. Yeah. Very very possible. Uh, Guy Harding, the actor. Grabs a gun, which is pretty adorable. Uh, <laughs> an armored horde alien punches him into next week, which Damn is a little boy. less adorable. He gets Mike Tyson, brother, on that one. Big time. Now the we have these these arm these alien horde members here are armored, and the armor kind of looks like a mix of like the X Force villain Strife and uh, the JLA member Aztec. Like just picture <laughs> a lot of pointiness, you know, a lot of a lot of blades on these costumes or this oh. armor. DC owes me money for Aztec. I'm just telling you. <laughs> no, this guy strikes at Aileen, and he actually manages to cut right right through the chest. You know, she's yep. gushing. And Harold lunges into action and socks the helmet right off the armored alien's dome. Aileen is, you know, she's on the ground. She's complaining that her chest is burning. You know, where she's been slit, there, is, there must have been some poison, you know? Yep. And... Jaylene, the adept, the one that uh, we we thought was going to be a liability, actually does something pretty cool here. She uses her powers here to analyze by sucking on this armored guy's poison claws so she can analyze it and hopefully come up with an antidote. Oh, someone's having clearly clearly fun with this girl. (laughs) Yes, you got to. Uh, Now, Harold looks up to see another armored alien holding his claws up to the face of one of the debutantes present. A hissing can be heard as he presses his claws into her face, so there is a burning poison on them. The alien gives Harold an ultimatum. It's like, hey, Strike Force, you can all give up and come with us, or we'll kill everybody here. Hmm. Mm. Harold thinks on it a bit, and uh, like you mentioned, there are cameras on him. This is probably the worst thing that can happen, because from a PR standpoint, this is not good, you know? Uh, Commander Neon gives him the whole, well, you got to crack some eggs to make an omelet speech, and he just tells her to shut up. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, at least he doesn't, you know, choke her and beat the hell out of her this time. So that's yes, good yes, he's holding us. back. He's holding back his his uh, his women beating ways, <laughs> his inner rage. Uh, <laughs> now Harold uses his powers. His powers kick on, and he senses that Robert and Jaylene were ready to act, and so. He tells the Horde that, hey, you know what? Strike Force Moratory will turn themselves over. And uh, some of the civilians present, they kind of mock this decision. It's like, well, these are the, these are the guys who are going to protect us? But, <laughs> you know, the, we got to mention that they don't exactly step up in their stead. They're just like, oh, well, not us. Uh, now, Harold approaches the armored alien. And as he does so, Robert yoinks the rug and a bunch of the ground up from under the bad guy. The old moving the rug trick. It's true. It's true. And then Lorna blasts the fallen alien with her bursts and says, my pleasure, Harold, or should I say Viking? So (laughs) she's really really good at that. By by the time it gets to that one, it's starting to get weird with (laughs) or should I say and then use your code name. Right. (laughs) But uh, she's really good at that. 
Um, now, elsewhere, Jaylene literally spits the antidote out and uh, uses it to heal Aileen's shredded chest. So all's good in the hood. Absolutely. And everything's great. But then Lorna, you know, uh, Harold's love interest, uh, the one with the low-cut t-shirt, the low-cut shirt, she doubles over. She clutches her stomach. She's in a bad way, and the team they try to approach her. They try to help, but she runs away. She pushes away and says, no, get away from me, all of you. The process, it's caught up to me. And with that, she bursts, leaving only a waft of smoke where she once stood. Yikes. And so we wrap up this issue with the Moritori process claiming its first victim. So we are four issues in mm-hmm. and already – one of the member of the team is dead. And not in battle. She wasn't in- killed. Nope. She just succumbed to the process. So that's a... And well before a year. So this really... Yeah. This so has got to be weeks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We've been reminded every single issue that these guys have a giant clock over their head. Yeah. Lorna's death, to me, signifies that... You may have a year max, but this could happen at any time. So this really, really opens up the gate mm-hmm. and just let you know that the these people's time are extremely limited. And uh, Mr. Uh, the Good Doctor, Tulima, better get some recruits uh, trained really fast because this team looks like they're going down fast. And it's been it's probably been nearly 10 years since I've read these. And I forgot about this. Me, too. So, yeah. So like reading this back now. It, sh- it shocked me, and uh, I-, I was not expecting anyone to pass yet. I, I thought we got a-, a solid bunch of issues before we started, you know, s- counting bodies. But uh, what was what was strange about this, though, Chris? Uh, hmm. We saw the death of the original Black Watch, the original Strike Force Moritori characters, sure. okay? And they basically burned to death. So they incinerated it with their flesh burning off and oh, yeah. all this stuff. Yet Lorna just explodes poof. into a puff poof, into nothing yeah. no body no nothing yeah maybe tulima is improved the uh, yes <laughs> yes which is which no is, muss uh, no fuss yeah they can either look at that and go ah you know the death is no big deal i'll just you know explode into a poof this ain't no thing and, and it's funny had i the foresight that or the memory i should say that this happened it's almost telegraphed by the way that she is so she has become a little bit closer to harold yeah, uh, I mean the the past couple of issues they've been like playfully teasing each other. To this time they you know they were on the train together, and uh, it's like almost like okay, well she's gonna go. But I totally forgot about it and it totally went over my head. So this was just a like a you know sit back and be like whoa this is I didn't remember it this early. I was really yeah. stunned by that. Oh, absolutely. But the best part about that, it sets the table that, you know, anything can happen at any time in this book. And that's the strength. Nobody's safe. Nobody is safe. If you're reading this week to week, that is the carrying card and the the ultimate uh, main joy that I got out of this book is that you never knew what was going to happen from issue to issue. Nobody was safe, man. The you know, the gloves were off. You can't get you can't get comfortable in this book. Just like the team, the readers cannot get comfortable in this book because you get too attached to somebody or you even get familiar with somebody. So, I mean, I don't think we we, re- we haven't really talked about Lorna all that much uh, yet. No. You know, it's like she's just been around. And then uh, just this issue, she kind of makes a, a presence of herself and uh, bada bing, bada boom, she's gone. 
And even if you did get comfortable, Commander Neon or Dr. Tulina is there to remind you and all past it. Hey, guys. They just tap the latch on their wrist just like, hey. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Oh, boy. Now, this is the first time that we actually get something sort of like a letters page, but not exactly. Uh, instead of a letters page, we get a page of creator bios titled Meet the Crew That Brings You, Strike Force Moritori. And uh, hmm. since we, uh, you know... We haven't introduced these guys in, uh, you know, going through their resume or their CVs or whatever. We're just going to read these to you here. We got our writer, Peter B. Gillis, says, You can usually find Chicago-based Peter slaving away behind his Macintosh, writing stories and devising new ways to employ computer graphics. On the rare occasion, Peter Peter's eyes are not focused on a CRT screen. They're often reading old tomes of archaic languages on such subjects as Gnostic beliefs in Afghanistan. Just your all-American boy next door. Currently, Mr. Gillis is the scribe for the mystical adventures of Doctor Strange. Check it out. Ah, see, what we don't realize is that I see that he's boasting about writing on his Macintosh, but can he do it on his Palm Pilot? Oh, man, I wish. He's got to learn that. He's got to learn. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's one of the tomes he's going to read, the ancient hieroglyphs of Palm Pilotism. <laughs> Try it out, Peter. <laughs> then come back and talk to us uh we jump across the table to the artist brent anderson it says 10 years ago brent ventured from the west coast to new york along with fellow artists frank sirocco gary winnick and tony sammons all four eventually found success in the art field but it was brent who ended up making the biggest splash in comics lending his dynamic and representational style to such projects as Kazar and the first X-Men graphic novel, which we know better as God Loves, Man Kills, put Brent, square, oh, absolutely, put Brent squarely in the spotlight. Mr. Anderson now draws Strikeforce Moratori in the comfort of his San Diego apartment with the sound of the surf blowing in through his studio window. It's a tough job, but I guess Brent's got to do it. And uh, also we have our inker. This is Mr. Scott Williams. Scott is brand new to the comics business, a brand new husband, and a brand new star on the rise. Along with fellow San Diego-based artist Will Spertasio, another name that occasionally pops up in Moritori credits, Scott et, Scott et, uh, Scott has made friends with Brent Anderson. No fool he, Brent immediately saw, saw each newcomer had a ton of talent and began encouraging the two in their artistic endeavors. Thanks in part to Mr. Anderson's advice and help, Scott and Wills are now both on their way to comic stardom as, now this might be interesting for Wills Pertansio fans, as top-notch inkers. Yeah. It does end with, uh, don't be surprised if both have penciling credits as well before long. So I, I, I didn't know that Wills came in as an inker, or primarily as an inker, so that's interesting stuff. That is interesting. Yeah. Now, finally, Carl Potts, our editor. He says, as I write this, the first issue of Strikeforce Moritori has been on sale for about 10 days. The response from fans and pros alike has been gratifying and overwhelmingly positive. It's enough to make all the hard work seem worthwhile for we who are about to die from exhaustion. Work on this series began in the summer of 85, which is surprising, when uh, Peter first approached me with this intriguing concept. I then pitched the idea to Brent, who got hooked on the story and then introduced me to the skills of Scott. Please write to us and let us know what you do and don't like about Strikeforce Moritori, and thanks for buying it. This is one proud and happy editor signing off. Be back in 30 days. All right. So that's our that's our bullpen here. That's our team. 
uh, going forward, at least for the next little while for Strikeforce Moratory. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that this uh, this kind of sat on the shelf for a year and a half. Yes. It's, it's really uh, weird. And not only that, I think they they did have a problem getting like material to publish in letter columns. <laughs> because as we'll see later on, I mean, true. you know, a lot of letter columns are few and far between. And some of, you know, yeah, we go, many. Yeah. yeah, we go a little while without actually seeing physical letters. It's weird. It's very, very true. Now, our bullpen bulletins are just like with issue two, the same as last month. It's I don't know why they would. uh <laughs> Do this but uh we do have some ads of course uh we learned that bill cole enterprises mylar sleeves are your only defense against pollutants that attack and destroy your valuable comic books yes because we know in the era of global warming that pollutants mm-hmm. will destroy those valuable comic books that is our you know if we we need that uh, that that young girl on our show and she needs to yell uh, <laughs> she needs to yell at the polluters for uh, for damaging our comic books for attacking how and dare destroying you how dare you <laughs> for attacking and destroying uh, we get a full page house ad for the Nam which I, you know, I have a bunch of it, and I don't think I've ever read it. So I, I definitely got to, I definitely got to make time for that. Um, we got a couple of, uh, of, of ads. You know, those ads that you'd lay down with a, with a pad, and you'd like write down the comics you wanted, and then you'd present them to your parents and be like, "Hey, mom, I can have all the comics I want for three hundred dollars." Sign me up. But uh, we got a couple of those here. We have Mile High Comics and American Comics in Warrenton, Virginia. And we find out here that Mile High Comics is selling each issue of Electra Assassin for a quarter less. Than American comics. So, Boy, if you're looking for Electra Assassin, yeah, you know where to go. You go to Mile High, not to American Comics, because it'll save you a quarter an issue. Now, we find out the hot team for 1986 is the team of Jolly Rancher and Murray Bicycles. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And they're bicycling and Jolly Ranchers. The Jolly Rancher, yes. Yeah, the hot team. And according to this <laughs> ad, this partnership is quote altogether awesome and they also give us a little bit of advice they tell us to get ready for a good licking (laughs) yeah that's what she said (laughs) that's that's, yeah yeah ouch why were they thinking did they not see that did they not see the problem with that let's be honest somebody was definitely playing games somebody was screwing around yeah (laughs) Uh, now, on the back cover, this one is Gumby and Pokey and huh, the next – well, no, wait wait a second. Wait a second. It's not the first part of Gumby and Pokey in Uh-oh. Gumdingerland. So if you're, if you're just joining us, in the first part of this riveting tale, Gumby and Pokey arrive in Gumdingerland via either a hot air balloon or a floating lollipop. We can't tell which. Pokey can't stop dreaming of delicious Brock's Gumdinger Pops, which prompts Gumby to list them all. They have cherry, grape, watermelon, apple, orange, strawberry ice cream, and vanilla ice cream. Mm. And uh, we'd probably be remiss not to mention their delicious bubblegum center. Yummy. Anyway, yeah, back in that first part, they fly right over Gumdingerland. And in this installment, well, we get a rejoinder caption that says, Last time Gumby and Pokey's hot air balloon crashed. That didn't happen in the first. So this has got to be part three then. Is this part three? I, I think I'm lost. I'm lost. I, you know, our friend Joe sent uh, Joe Cabrera sent us 
you know, the three parts of this last week. And uh, I didn't read them because I don't read digital comics. You know that. Yes. So I, I need the paper version. So I'm lost. I can't continue. So uh, we'll have to keep looking. <laughs> and hopefully we'll come across the physical version of part two so we can actually get to the conclusion of Gumby and Pokey's adventure in Gumdangerland. They but, are all so close. All uh, so close. Yeah. They, I mean, you look at it and it looks exactly the same as the one that we've been looking at. It's it's pretty wild stuff. And uh, I, I, I remember the ones I, uh, over in DC's side, they had those Capri Sun ones. Yes, it was like, absolutely. Yes. It was like two kids and a monkey. And, <laughs> and they'd be like in the jungle, like in like at old tombs and ruins. And uh, <laughs> you could never tell what you ought to read those things in because they all looked the same. It was and you could tell me right now. You remember that meatloaf one? The meatloaf. Yes, ad? I did. Yeah, I did. There could have been there could have been 15 parts of that. And I wouldn't have known it because I only thought there was the one. So <laughs> just, I was um, I was a big fan of the. Uh, the TSR Dungeons and Dragons one that continued for I think it was six ads. Oh and yeah, they, and they, that's actually the they, they have commercials that actually act those out. What live action commercials that actually act those out? What you talking about, Willis? Yeah, I could I could probably find a link hopefully, but uh, I oh, know that man. there's there's that one and then there's the uh, like the Hubba Bubba one with like a kid like like holding his head above the counter asking for uh, a piece oh, yes. of gum. Yes, and that that's a, there's actually a live action version of that one too. So it's it's pretty interesting. I wonder if there's a live action Gumby and Pokey and Gumdinger. This is there. this is this is like secrets revealed. This is blowing my mind here. <laughs> I can't no believe it. Like I, I I have <laughs> I loved loved those D and D ads. I mean they were my childhood. And oh yeah, it was it was only several years ago that I only discovered uh, one of the one I there was there was one I didn't even know existed. Oh wow! I saw. I was reading a digital comic, and when I got to the last page, there was this ad, and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> then I realized that I was missing one. I had I had only read five, and okay. I was literally mind blown. And I actually made a little uh, a blog post on it, so you can check that over on Superhero Satellite. Just just Google oh, Superhero cool. Satellite and D and D ads, and uh, just check that post out. Oh, very cool. Very. And cool. Uh, and somewhere over in the UK, I think they've released an additional six. Wow. How about that? How about That's them apples, Mr. Sheehan? <laughs> I like them apples. We I might have to investigate those further going forward. Yes. But uh, you wanted to make an announcement, if I recall. Yes. So we're very happy with, uh, you know, with the feedback that we get. And we'd like to do a little thing for uh, for the folks who are joining us week to week. I don't so think this is a good idea. I don't think this is a good idea. What can possibly go wrong? A year is good, Chris. so we are actually inviting our team to join the moratory process so if you dm us or you email us or however way which way you want to contact us and provide us with your contact information we are actually going to get you all signed up so you're going to receive something uh in your email box that i think you will enjoy and that comes with a particular set of rules mr sheehan because once you sign up the clock starts ticking. So at any point, <laughs> you as a listener maybe succumb to the moratory process yourself. So just trust us. Sign up. <laughs> shoot us. Shoot us a DM. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> now speaking of succumbing to the moratory process, today we lost our beloved Lorna, and uh, we were gonna do a little bit of a, you know. 
we were going to say our final farewells here, but we want to include you guys in that. We want you guys to share your Lorna memories. If you have anything you want to say about Lorna, the life that burnt too quick, we, we're going to we're gonna give her a eulogy next week. And uh, we'd like you all to be a part of that. And uh, you're all cordially invited to, to you know, well, there, there isn't a viewing because there isn't a body, but uh, there'll just be a, a memorial ceremony in her honor. So uh, poor Lorna, whatever her last name was. Uh, we will celebrate you. We will remember you. We will. We will remember you. And I think we need the Sarah McLachlan "I Will Remember You" song in there so. somewhere to, you know, commemorate <laughs> Lorna and her, you know, plunging neckline shirt. It's true. It's true. I, we, I will we, miss her, and so will Harold. Harold will most certainly miss her. And uh, it may be the the last female touch the man has ever had. You never know. You never know. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a scary time, and uh, yeah, stay tuned. It's uh Things are things are about to get hairy. So uh, <laughs> absolutely. So if you are interested in getting a hold of us, maybe joining the moratory process or sending your last regards to our fair Miss Lorna, you can reach us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Ace Comics. I'm at Charlton underscore hero. Absolutely. You could find uh the website at chrisandreggie.com. You can find my website at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. And your website is... You can check me out at The Superhero Satellite. Just shoot a Google and you shall find it for all my retro ramblings. Everything from wrestling, comic books, TVs and movies, toys, you name it. I talk about it and I would appreciate you shooting me a comment and let me know what you think. Absolutely. Now, we want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with us on this fine Monday or whatever day you're listening. And uh, we hope you come back to you know, hang out next week. See you again real soon. See you next week, recruits. See ya.